The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you deceived your own soul? Have you deceived your own soul? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. 
I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. It is so easy to deceive ourselves. It's so, so easy. The number one problem that all Christians are facing is the problem of sin. Some would think that it is poverty or sickness. No, the greatest problem we face is sin. And when I look at the scriptures, well, let me read for you what it says. In the book of First John, chapter 3, Verse 4, everyone doing the sin also continues doing the lawlessness. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And you know that the one was manifest so that he may take away our sins. Indeed, there's no sin in him. Everyone who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. Everyone sinning has not seen him, neither has he known him. Little children, you must not let anybody deceive you. The one continually doing the righteousness is righteous, just as the one is righteous. The one continually doing the sin is out from the devil, because the devil sins from a beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested so that he may destroy the works of the devil. Everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin, because his seed continues to remain in him. He is not able to keep on sinning, because he has been born out of God. Now, I can almost hear some of you say, Come on, Pastor. We're Christians. but we're so easily deceived. We so quickly are led astray by the enemy, and salvation is stolen from us. Now, let me tell you where I'm coming from. I can read certain portions of Scripture. For example, Romans, the seventh chapter. The Apostle Paul is speaking... He's speaking in an, uh, a present tense about a past experience. But many Christians, even strong theologians, have said that Romans, the seventh chapter, is speaking about the current ongoing experience of the Apostle Paul. And they would say he's always doing what he doesn't want to do. He's captive to sin. And they would go further and say, we're all captive to sin and nobody's perfect and we just have to deal with it. Like Martin Luther said, he said, sin is like the beard of a man. Every day you have to shave it. It just keeps growing in your life. It never ends. He was the one who said, sin boldly. Let grace abound even more. Well, let me tell you where I'm coming from. 
I've had to make a very concrete decision. I want to share that decision with you. The decision centers around how do I interpret the scriptures? Well, certainly, hermeneutically, we would say you interpret the scriptures by context. As my dear brother uh, Jim Kerwin would say, context, context, context. Meaning, don't take a passage of scripture by choice out of its setting and give it its meaning. No, read the scriptures before and after it so that you can understand the context of of why that statement was made. Context is vital to understand the scriptures. That's why we don't proof text on this broadcast. I don't take one scripture and say, this means this and this and this, while the context would tell you it means something very different than that. Okay. But if we are willing now to take context and we're willing to interpret the scriptures according to the context in which we find them, I think we have to go a step further than that. And that is, we have to understand that all of the scriptures, Old and New Testament, must be viewed through Jesus Christ. In other words, I don't take the Apostle Paul's words, and then use those words to interpret what Jesus means. I take what Jesus says, and that tells me how to interpret what the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or the Apostle John say. I know that there's not going to be a disagreement between Jesus and the Apostles. But if I take the apostles alone, they may seem to disagree with what Jesus taught. So I want to know first and foremost, what did Jesus say? I want to understand Jesus' position. Specifically today, I want to understand what is Jesus' position regarding the law, the Ten Commandments. Not the ceremonial law, not the health laws. Those were obviously old covenant laws. And I don't believe they're still binding the ceremonies, the church calendar of the Old Testament. I don't believe any of those are still binding. If you go to Romans 14, 5 through 8, or you go to Colossians 2, 16, if you go to Galatians 3, 23 to 25, or Galatians 4, 21 to 31, or Galatians 5, 16 to 26, you'll find out that all of the Old Testament was a shadow looking forward to Jesus Christ. So I go through Jesus to interpret the meaning of the Old Testament, and I go through the Gospels to interpret the meaning of the New Testament scriptures. So when I come to the law as given on Mount Sinai, I want to take that law and ask Jesus, how do you interpret this? 
And so we have honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. We have the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's the law. But what does Jesus say about this law? And is this law still binding upon us today? Well, Jesus' words are very clear about this issue. Let me begin reading in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. I'll begin reading in verse 17, and please, just listen. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Do not begin to think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came not to abolish, but to fulfill. That is, he came to live fully to meet the demands of the law. He did not come to abolish the law. Verse 18, For truly I say to you, until the heaven and the earth may pass away, one iota or one stroke may by no means pass away from the law until all things may come to pass. Well, all things are not going to come to pass until the heavens and the earth pass away. Have they passed away? No. Obviously, the answer is no. So, the law is still binding. Consequently, verse 19, if any person may break one of the least commandments and may teach men so, he will be called least by the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to be clear with you that if you go to the Greek, it is not suggesting that if you break the law, you can still be in heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying... If any person may break one of these least commandments and may teach men to do so, he will be called least by the kingdom of the heavens. But whoever may do and may teach them, this man will be called great by the kingdom of the heavens. For I say to you that unless your righteousness may exceed beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you may by no means enter into the kingdom of the heavens. Well, what was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, history tells us that they 
perfectly kept the law to the letter of the law. But Jesus begins to apply a much deeper meaning to the law. We need to understand that deeper meaning. Now, let me just stop for a moment. As I was preparing for today, as I was meditating and praying over these words, as I was meditating and praying over the Ten Commandments, a thought came to my mind that seemed very clear from the Holy Spirit. If the law is still binding upon us, and if our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then Jesus must provide a way to be righteous. Not a make-believe righteousness, not an imputed righteousness, not saying, Jesus, could I have your righteousness to put on and cover up my sin? That's not what the scriptures teach. That's a wonderful device of the devil to deceive God's people. And he has done an awesome job of deceiving the whole American church. And America is in the trouble we are in today because pastors have taught this lie. Now, I want to emphasize this is not a struggle between Reformed or holy churches. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield were Reformed in their theology. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was Reformed Baptist. But all of these men believed in holiness, in not walking in sin. They believed that if you were crucified with Christ, if you were born from above, that you would no longer walk in sin, in any known sin before the holy God. It's only been in the last... 75 years, 100 years, that the lie has been adopted in the American church. And I'll be honest with you. Billy Graham and others were at the forefront of bringing in this neo-evangelicalism that allowed for a sinning Christian Now, Billy Graham taught strongly against sin, but he was just the beginning of a great flowing out of deception into the Christian church as we find it today in America and in the Western world. And now it's been spread to Africa. It's been spread to the entire world. And it is causing what in the scriptures is called the great falling away, which is the sign that Jesus is about to come in his glory. This is a prophetic word that there would be a great falling away. That great falling away is a deception 
that is caused by a belief that the law is no longer binding. And so now you begin to get people teaching, we are saved by faith alone. And by that they mean there is no human part of that salvation. All we have to do is say, yes, the Romans road, Romans the 10th chapter, all we have to do is say, yes, I accept Jesus and I'm saved. Now, do I believe in salvation by faith alone? Absolutely. I believe in salvation by faith alone. But the word faith alone is like a train car. You put on that car the meaning you would like to have it hold. And so the modern church has removed the ancient path of Jesus Christ and has loaded on that freight car a false gospel. What do I mean when I say I am saved by faith and by faith alone? I mean that I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ and that he has done a work of total restoration in my life, destroying the old man of sin and restoring me and making me holy. It is called regeneration. In other words, if this arm is cut off, it is called regeneration if that arm grows back. So we are brought back in the fullness of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus causes us to walk in holiness, in righteousness by the blood of Jesus. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. Do you know how long it took me to begin to understand that and how much I wish someone had just spoken this word to me? It would have made my life so much different. I would have had such victory in Jesus years ago. But no one would speak that word because no one understood it in the church at that time. We were completely enamored by this neo-evangelicalism that allows for the sinning Christian. And now it's opened the door to tolerance. And now we need to accept perversion in the church. In fact, we need to ordain perversion. We need to be loving and unconditional in our love. All of that is utter sin and wickedness and deception. Do you hear me? I'm speaking it straight. If the blood of Jesus Christ cannot wash me of my sin now, in the present, how do I dare think I can trust him for my eternity? If the blood of Jesus is of no more value than the blood of the old covenant bulls and goats, if it cannot restore me, if it cannot regenerate me, if it cannot make me into a new creature then I don't want to serve Jesus Christ and I will not be a Christian. 
I hope you hear me. It is so easy to be deceived. And for many years, I walked in the deception I was taught at seminary, but it didn't work for me. I was deceived by what the church taught. I was deceived by what Robert Schuller taught in his self-esteem wickedness. I was deceived by the modern church. I was deceived. And many of you have been deceived just as I have been. Now, I want to read you an additional passage out of Matthew, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse 21. You heard that it was said to them in ancient times, You shall not commit murder, and whoever may murder will be subject to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to the judgment. And whoever may say to his brother, Radka, that is literally in the Greek, you numbskull, you dummy, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever may say, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. Consequently, you may bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, you've wronged your brother or sister your friend, your neighbor. You must leave your gift there before the altar and you must go away. First, you must become reconciled to your brother and then after having returned, you must offer your gift. Some of you should not keep coming before the Lord until you have reconciled with your wife or with your husband. Oh, he's just impossible. Reconcile. Make peace. Take a humble position. Listen, listen, listen to them. You must be friendly with your adversary. Without delay. While you're on the road with him, lest the adversary may take you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you may never come out from there until you pay out the last penny. You heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that every man looking on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you sit down and you watch the pornography, you are an adulterer and you are in danger of the fires of hell. For you have committed adultery with that woman in your heart or with that man in your heart. Now, if your right eye causes you to sin, 
you must tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your members may perish than your whole body may not be thrown into Gehenna or hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, you must cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your members may perish than your whole body may be thrown into hell. Now, it was said, whoever may divorce his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever may divorce his wife or his husband, I would add, except for the matter of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever may marry a woman having been divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said in ancient times, you must not swear falsely, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, nor the throne of God, nor by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, not by Jerusalem, and not by the city of the great king. And Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, and he opens for us the depth of his commands for us. Now, it's... I listened to one preacher. I won't name him. I love him deeply. He's now gone on to his reward. But his broadcasts are still played on the radio. I've listened to many hours of this preacher. But when he came to the Sermon on the Mount, he just said, I throw my hands up here. You cannot live by the Sermon on the Mount until we get into the great 1,000-year time when Jesus rules the earth. Well, no, I don't think he's right. I know he's not right. I have read on my knees aloud many times the Sermon on the Mount. And I've asked the Lord if he would do the work of the Sermon on the Mount in my heart because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' explanation of the Ten Commandments. If you will, it is his commentary on what the Ten Commandments truly mean. And he covers everything. I also like these words. Verse 31, this is Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 31. So never begin to worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we put on? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. It's already the 15th of the month. And I've been praying and saying, Lord, I've agreed that I'm not going to ask for money on the air anymore. Instead, I'm going to pray. How do you want me to pray? I'm standing by faith that this radio broadcast will be able to continue next month. His word to me is, 
never begin to worry, Ray? Saying, how shall we pay the radio bill? He said, don't worry. Trust me. I'm moving in the hearts of people, and they will give. Trust me. Don't worry. And then he gives this very wonderful advice. Nay, direction. But you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness only comes by being righteous. Now, I don't have the ability in myself to be righteous. I don't have it. I read the Ten Commandments and I'm condemned. I read the Sermon on the Mount. I'm condemned. Except... Jesus made a way for me to live fully into the law and fully into the Sermon on the Mount. And he did that by calling me in Romans, the sixth chapter, to be crucified with Jesus Christ. A man turns to pornography and he says I'm guilty why did I do that that's not what I want to do oh I'm doing what Romans 7 says I'm not living as a Christian but I am a Christian I'm saved I'm covered by the blood of Jesus I'm on my way to heaven but I can't help myself I'm doing no See, that's the modern lie of the church. That's the modern lie of the church. The problem is dying to those sexual desires. Dying to the temptations of the flesh. It means more time in Scripture, more time in prayer. It means a deeper dying in my body, and in my spirit. I don't know of any way to overcome the lust of the flesh for sex, for money, for success in business, money fever, bitterness, anger, fear, jealousy, envy. I don't know of any way to deal with these things except the way Jesus has given us. And that is to say, Jesus, I choose to be crucified with you. Now, would you do that work in my heart? Would you take this from me? I surrender it. Now, let's get real, okay? Let's, let's really go down there. Look at Matthew, the seventh chapter. This is coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you must 
enter through the narrow gate. In the Greek, that word for narrow is to suffer affliction. To suffer affliction. You may not gain the victory over that sin, whatever it is, without very serious fasting and prayer and going to brothers and sisters and confessing that sin to them and asking them to pray for you. Oh, I could never tell anybody about this secret sin. Well, you may not be able to get past that secret sin without the prayers of your brothers and sisters. Remember what James 5 says, confess your faults one to another. And if any of you are sick, pray for one another. Call the elders and you will be healed. Well, what stands in the way of the healing? No confession of the secret sin of your heart. You must enter through the suffering affliction gate. Jesus is the gate. You cannot enter into Jesus except through the suffering affliction. It's not a cakewalk down the aisle saying, yes, yes, I accept Jesus. No, the question is, does Jesus accept you? And the answer is no, he will not accept you in your sin if you're unwilling to be crucified with him. For wide is the gate and broad is the way leading into destruction and many are the ones entering through it. There is a gate today that is available to you. It is called the modern church. The modern church will not make any demands on you. They'll tell you you can't be perfect. You're going to always be a sinner. In fact, if you listen to almost every broadcast on Christian radio, they will tell you the same thing. And after you've heard the lie enough times, you'll begin to believe it, unless you are grounded, firmly grounded in the scriptures, and unless you are willing to interpret everything you hear through the eyes of Jesus, and let it be judged by what Jesus speaks. So let the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, the Apostle Peter, let everything in the New Testament be judged by the Sermon on the Mount, and by the words of Jesus. I shouldn't need to say this, but I do. The Apostle Paul is not my Savior. I don't say that to denigrate him or put him down. He is not my Savior. The Apostle Paul did not die for me. The Apostle John is not my Savior. He did not die for me. I love Peter. He's not my Savior. He didn't die for me. He died crucified upside down. But his death was not an atoning sacrifice for me. My Savior is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I will interpret everything in the New Testament and the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus Christ. The context of the Scripture are the Gospels and the book of Revelation. 
That's the context of everything else found in Scripture. Then verse 14, how how narrow is the gate, how suffering, how afflicting is the gate, and restricted is the way. That is, it will cause you to groan because the way is so small and you won't be able to take your luggage through with you. So Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, look, you have to enter through the narrow gate. And he says, I am the gate. And he says, you're going to suffer affliction when you come into the gospel through me. And it's going to be such a narrow way, such a pinching way, that you're going to groan as you shove yourself through. And then he says, and the ones that find it are very few. The ones that find it are very few. So most who call themselves Christians will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Most will be kept out. The parable of the wise and unwise virgins you find at the conclusion of Matthew 25 or 24 half of the church is lost I think probably for the modern church Jesus is being very liberal now the scripture doesn't end there it continues but you must turn your mind from the false prophets. Who's a false prophet? That's a a pastor, a teacher, someone who begins to tell you what the future is going to bring. He's a fourth teller, if you please. If that fourth teller, if that prophet or prophetess is teaching that you can still walk in sin and be saved, He is a false prophet. He is there to deceive you and not allow you to enter the affliction gate or the groaning gate. He says, you must turn your mind from the false prophets. Whoever comes to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're going to be dressed up like they're concerned about you. They're going to come as respected and loved pastors, teachers, Professors of religion. Whoever comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are savage wolves. By their fruits, you will know them exactly. What fruit? There are only two fruits. Righteousness or wickedness. So a teacher who comes saying, you can walk in sin and still be saved, has the fruit of unrighteousness of wickedness in their heart. And you must deal with them as deceivers. They do not gather grapes from thorns planted or figs from thistles, do they? 
So every good tree brings forth good fruit, but the decayed tree brings forth bad fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruits. Now, we were all bad trees at one time. We were all bad trees. But hallelujah, we were cut off from that bad tree and we were grafted into Jesus Christ. John, the 15th chapter. Apostle Paul talks about it also and he says, don't be proud. If the natural branches were cut off because of wickedness, consider yourself. You've been grafted in. You can easily be cut off. Verse 19, every tree not bringing forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As a matter of fact, you will know them exactly by their fruits. Now, the tree that is cut down and thrown into the fire, or the branch in the 15th chapter of Gospel of John, that's a real person. That's you or me. Those are people. And he's saying, if you're not producing good fruit, if you're not producing righteousness in your life, and can I be clear, you cannot produce good fruit in your life out of humanism, out of human energy and strength. You can only produce good fruit through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it requires your crucifixion with Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's be really clear. You cannot walk in the world and in the flesh and produce good fruit. You can't do it. The only way to produce the good fruit is by entering through that narrow gate, that gate of affliction, that gate of suffering, that narrow gate that's pinching and squeezing you because it is a crucifixion. A crucifixion is not a walk in the park. You enter into Jesus Christ. You become one with Jesus. Now he says, not everyone saying to me, Lord, Lord. So many in America say, I love Jesus. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. No, they're not. They're still bad trees, still producing wickedness. Not everyone saying to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens, but the ones that keep on doing the will of my Father in the heavens. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we interpreted divine revelation in your name, did we not? And in your name we cast out demons, and in your name we did many deeds of power. Did we not? 
but then I will plainly answer them. I never recognized you. You must depart from me, the ones... And the NIV says, the evildoers. The literal translation is the ones working lawless deeds. Now everyone who hears these words of mine and keeps on doing them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house on the bedrock. And the rain fell, and the rivers flooded, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it fell not, because it had been founded upon the bedrock. See, these two houses were identical, but one was on the rock, and one was on the human effort. And when the storm came, the one based on human effort was destroyed. The one that was on the bedrock of Jesus Christ survived the storm. Now we're going to go from here into the way of man's heart. I'm going to show you that. I want to say this to you as encouragement. Many times, we who call ourselves Christians will come to the Lord and will experience a glorious time. Praise and worship. And then the devil comes with some temptation. And we fold like a house of cards. And we feel really bad and really guilty. And you know what? We are really guilty and we are really bad. It's true. But this is where I so much love First John, where he says, and if perchance, you shouldn't plan on it, but if perchance you sin against the Lord, we have an advocate with the Lord, and he will forgive us for our sins, and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, we enter in the narrow gate. We suffer the affliction. And then suddenly the devil comes. We wipe out. And when we come to our senses, we know we are producing rotten fruit. And the only place to go, according to First John, is quickly go to Jesus and take full responsibility for what we've done. Repent thoroughly. Turn from our wickedness. And allow Jesus to come into our heart and purge us of all unrighteousness that we will not return again to that wickedness. I want you to hear today, the law condemns us, but Jesus Christ enables us to live fully and completely in him, in the law. The new covenant is that the law is actually written on our hearts. And we will do what is natural to us in the new man, 
and it will be perfect observance of the law of God. Now we're immature, and we have to grow up, but Jesus will grow us up, and he will carry us through. Well, we're out of time for today. God bless you, my dear brother, my dear sister. I pray this has been helpful to you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Thank you. I pray that you have been encouraged by this broadcast, that you see that the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus then fulfills the law in our hearts. He fills the law in us. That's a glorious truth. God bless you, my brother. I'll talk to you soon, my sister. Go in peace.